Today's episode is brought to you by The Masked Man Show. It's the biggest time of the year for professional wrestling. WrestleMania is this weekend, and David Shoemaker is going to preview it all with a couple very special guests. In fact, I heard Simmons say he was going to be on The Masked Man Show. Uh, You can subscribe to The Masked Man Show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Vernon. Joining me as he does every Tuesday from TheRinger.com is Kevin O'Connor. Kevin! What up, Chris? Hey, man. So, last night I'm going to settle in and I'm going to watch the marquee matchup in the NBA between the Cavaliers and the San Antonio Spurs. And what the hell was that? Oh, boy. Another marquee matchup that was supposed to be a great game, but... No, not so much. That, that that looked like that 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 was surprising in many ways. I thought this might be the game where the Cavaliers actually pick it up on the defensive end of the floor. And granted, I guess you could say that they held the Spurs to one hundred three. They they they're a mess on that end, Chris. I feel like there's so many levels to their issues. They have old guys that just aren't good defenders. The their efforts down. Maybe that's because they're fatigued after two straight finals runs or six straight for LeBron. There just seems to be a hell of a lot of issues for that team on that end. Okay, so there's a couple things. A, it seems it would seem to me it would be impossible to you know the the stat is going around all the time about them having the second worst defense since the All Star break. Given the amount of crappy teams in the NBA, that seems just implausible to me that you could be that bad, <laughs> right? Like you mm. could be that bad. Um, but sure enough, they are. I am more on the side of personnel, which is okay. They should clearly be better than second worst in the NBA since the All Star break, and they should be better than twenty third overall. But When you are rolling out there, Kyrie Irving and Kyle Korver and Kevin Love and Darren Williams and Channing Frye and J.R. Smith has never been, you know, uh, uh, he has never been mistaken for Scottie Pippen. I mean, you many of your best players or certainly guys that are in your rotation for the Cavs are not good defenders. And then it, it, it then, of course, right, compromises everything when they're playing at the same time. And this is what you get. I'm starting to believe that it is a very serious problem that they can't just flip the switch when it comes playoff time. What about you? So I agree with you that I think the personnel is the the main cause of their issues because those guys just flat out, you know, some of them flat out just aren't good defensive players. So they have they have issues on the on that end. They have more than one weak link. However, I do wonder come playoff time when they trim that rotation to eight guys. Will they be fine? I mean, you look at the top end of their rotation, they'll still have weak links. Kevin Love's not a great defensive player. Kyrie Irving's not a good defensive player. But they can trim it down to the point where I think they're a little bit stronger, and naturally, I think effort level will rise. You would assume that happens, and maybe it doesn't. But I do think that part of what we're seeing right now is they're going deeper into their bench. They're essentially running with a nine or 10 man rotation, trim that down to eight in the first, second and third round. I think they'll be okay. And then usually in the finals, they trim it down to seven sometimes with the eighth guy. And so if they do make it that far, I think they'll be fine. But at the same time, that doesn't change the fact that they still have more weak links now than I think they did in past years. Cause all the guys they added Kyle Corver, Darren Williams, those guys are 
good offensive players. They help on that end. Kyle Korver is an incredible shooter. Darren Williams is a reliable point guard. But neither of them are good defensive players. So if you need to bring those guys into the game, they have potential issues. And the other part of it, really, is just the two straight finals runs for all the other guys. LeBron's been the sixth straight. He's a superhuman. Fatigue clearly isn't an issue for him. He's, he's, he's an android. However... Thompson is a human. J.R. Smith is a human. Kyrie Irving is a human. Those guys, they might be feeling fatigue after two straight finals runs. And sometimes I think there's a little bit too much focus on LeBron being superhuman with what he's doing and less on what these other guys might be going through after such long, long playoff runs. You know what I've thought about recently, too, because clearly such an onus has been put on how bad they are defensively as I've been watching them. You know what I found myself thinking? So... Uh, Tristan Thompson is not somebody that is going to stand back there and be your backline of your defense stalwart, right? They really need that, too, because they get beat off the dribble so many times, and they are, according to Sport VU, the slowest team going. Um, so if you're going to be playing you know, half-court basketball and and even when you do miss shots, going to have to play full-court basketball um, – they're going to have to have somebody that can protect the rim. And Thompson is not getting the job done. Um, probably not the best suited to do that. And I found myself thinking, you know who they could really use? Andrew Bogut. And that is, they had him, right? They had him. And that turned into a catastrophe because he got hurt in the first game. But I think Bogut, given their defensive problems, could really help them as a backline defender because – Thompson has to go up. I mean, you saw him up against Gortat. You know, these these big, strong guys, they can really, you know, they can muscle him around. And they don't really have anything else. They don't have another player to play at center outside of Thompson. Unless Larry Sanders. Unless Larry Sanders somehow turns it around. Unless he somehow gets himself into basketball, basketball shape by the time they're in the brink of the playoffs. And he's somebody who can offer you know room protection for 8 to 12 minutes. I don't know if he can. I don't think anybody can really answer that question. Everything we read about his workouts is that he was reportedly out of basketball shape and he didn't appear ready. The Cavaliers took a chance on him because, like you said, they lost out on Bogut. They lost out on the guy that they needed as part of their rotation. But maybe Larry Sanders could become a guy who, hey, maybe he helps them win a game. I don't know. And as for Thompson, you're right that he's not quite a room protector, but I still think in the playoffs when – teams are in the half court and they're switching almost every screen Thompson's really really good at switching screens and in defending on the perimeter so I think he might be able to help you more in playoff situations but I still go back again to the fact that he's been to two straight finals Irving's been to two straight J.R. Smith has two and those guys still might be feeling fatigue and I do wonder if that'll impact them come April and maybe into May and perhaps into June as well it doesn't seem like you're being really an alarmist on this though I mean, they're eight and ten, right? In their last eighteen games, and yeah. they're eight and ten in their last eighteen games. They just got blown the hell out on national television. I mean, badly by the sport. <laughs> like, you would you would figure they would get up yeah. for that one, right? I mean, they they had yeah. the national, they yeah. had the stage. I mean, I thought, okay, even if they've been dicking around, you're gonna get a you're gonna get a home run effort out of them tonight. That's what I thought. You know. Yeah, I mean, I felt the same way, but I just, I just think back to the last year in January. 
They fired David Blatt. They fired their head coach because of the problems they were having. It wasn't as much perhaps on the court. It was more off court, but they still had problems nonetheless. Two years ago, they got off to that slow start where they were like a 500 team, I think, like 16 games into the season or something. They were eight and eight and eight or eight and seven, something like that. And we were wondering, oh, they're going to mesh. And they went all the way to the finals. And of course, they lost. But I, I just look at the last two years and they've had bouts with struggles they've had times where they couldn't get it done for whatever reason it was maybe it was chemistry issues off the court or chemistry problems on the court right now it's defense and I just wonder if you know living in the moment it feels like this will be a major problem but when they're in game seven of the finals in June we'll look back and say hey wasn't it funny when we were talking about the Cavaliers struggles on defense haven't they been amazing in the playoffs I just feel like that's a possibility I don't know if it will happen because the problems do seem very very real right now for all the reasons we talked about personnel fatigue and and whatever else but i do think there's a possibility it changes considering the fact that they still have a ton of ton of talent on their team and on paper they're still the favorites on in the eastern conference so uh, i i I don't i don't want to i don't want to dwell too much on on how bad they look right now because they've had those moments the last two years Tyron Luce said that he um, he is in fact he laughed after the game when he talked about the Spurs running circles around him. He said the, that's the crazy part about it. We start off the right way, but teams are so much faster than us. Lou said they just look so much faster than we are. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, damn, it just looks like just beat <laughs> us on the dribble transition, just looking faster. And then Ramona Shelburne recounts, according to data from Sports VU, uh, on offense, the Spurs rank as the fifth fastest team in the league, while the Cavs rank last in the league. On defense, Ooh. San Antonio is the third fastest team in the league. Cleveland is 26th. Wow. Man. I just think it is tough, Kevin, when you're playing, at, you know what I mean? Like obviously, if you're if those are the numbers on you, you clearly play a very slow brand of basketball, right? Um, you're playing more half-court basketball, and the, there is the yin and yang of your best offensive players are not. It, it almost feels like you would love to have, if you're going to throw out, uh, it, it feels like if you're going to have uh, Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving and, and LeBron James out on the court, right? And now the other position is going to go to Tristan Thompson, who's kind of the, you know, do everything big. The other guy needs to be an awesome defender, I would think, right, in order to make up for it. And that's just not the case. Whoever that fifth guy is and wherever you're going to play him, because clearly LeBron's malleable. You could play him anywhere. But it feels like that fifth guy, there's got to be, you know, there's stars and role players. And whoever that fifth guy is needs to be a role player and be a defensive stalwart. And so, like, I don't know, is it? Yeah, Iman Shumpert is it? I, I don't. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Right? I mean, you uh, well, remember? You remember how weird it was when the the numbers were really good with Delavadova on the court? Well, I think there's a, I think there's something to that, right? In the sense that just gonna hassle people, defend his position. He's not going to take shots away from the stars by and large, and so I, I think there's a real value to the role player and the way it fits amongst the stars. And I'm just not sure that that whoever that fifth guy is that's on the court with those other four, um, that they have a good fit for who the fifth guy is. 
So I think I think there's something to that, and Delhi absolutely was very important to their success last year. I think we talked about in January or February before they brought in Darren Williams, they needed a point guard to really help ease the way there in terms of th- they needed somebody to take on the, the ball handling responsibility. Um, but with that said, I I wonder, how, you know, with Cleveland's issues, I think their main problem on on defense, and this is something you said uh, with the Tyron Luke quote, is that they look slow and i just look at their numbers and according to synergy sports technology they have the 30th ranked transition defense but their half court defense is 12th and that's over the full season i don't know what it is since the all-star break but over the full season they have the 12th best half court defense the worst transition defense is, is that something that changes in the playoffs maybe Maybe it doesn't, but I know that I know everybody knows that in the playoffs, the game tends to slow down a little bit. It tends to become more of a half court game. So I do wonder if that inherently helps them, even if their transition defense continues to slip or if the transition defensive issues are inherently all because of the fact that they're fatigued or they have effort. Maybe this is something that continues to be a problem, or maybe it's something that once they turn it on, that's what fixes itself, whereas with their defense, they still maintain what they've been doing, which isn't great, but it's not bad, according to the numbers at least. So I I think they have have guys that can take on that fifth role, Chris, but I, I, I still get back to, in the playoffs, the game changes, and I still think when they trim the rotation, they, they might have that fifth guy. That being said, we would they would have to become a radically different defense than what they have. We would both admit mm-hmm. that because yes, you look absolutely. back through history, the twenty third best defense it doesn't win, it just doesn't. Yep. <laughs> I mean, like you got to be now. Now maybe they can flip the switch and be way better, and they've done that in the past, as you've said, right? We have seen teams that became radically better defensive teams once it came playoff time. Like wow, where did this come from? But uh, Numberfire did a good study on that. Numberfire.com did a study since 1979 of the X amount of teams that have been to the finals. Only one, only one team had a worse defensive rating than the average defensive rating that season during the regular season. That team was the 2000-2001 Lakers. Only one team. And that's a team that turned it on in the playoffs on the defensive end of the floor. But every other team that had a defense in the bottom half, n- none of them made the finals. It, and and that that's kind of illuminating for the Cavaliers. The thing is, though, it, you know, not to get har- har- harp on this, but that that uh, Kobe Shaq team had two of the best players in the league. This Cavaliers team has LeBron James, the best player in the league, and two of the other best players as well, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love, sometimes being the best one of the one of the better power forwards. Well, so I, it, they they have the ability to turn the flip the switch just like that uh, Lakers team did. Coincidentally, Tyron Lue getting stepped over. Yeah, the, 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 yes, this is the one that lost only one game in the playoffs after having like a, a shitty regular season defense. Yeah, they were fifteen and one in the playoffs. Damn, and they were coming off a finals win the year prior too. So I that that's that's where I just that's where I'm not ready to totally leap in and say yeah this is going to hold them back because we've seen 
we've seen teams flip the switch. We've seen teams not flip the switch. I just think these guys have the pieces when they trim their rotation. When they trim their rotation, I think they'll be okay. But right now, they're, you know, they're extra guys. They're not okay. And if they lose some of their top-end guys, they're not going to be okay either because I don't think they have the same depth that they have in past years in terms of they don't have the defensive players that can come in and make that same impact. So it'll be fascinating to see, but I think that's the other part of it. This team needs to stay healthy. They don't have they don't have the defensive players to main to maintain their defense even if it improves in the playoffs. They need to stay healthy. They can't suffer any short term injuries for so the first time th- in forever. That's another you, wrinkle here too. For the first time in forever, if you go look at the standings page today, it is not Cleveland in number one oh. in the East. It's Boston. <laughs> what are the chances Boston hangs oh on to that? What do you think? How's this even happening? <laughs> I don't know. Surprising. Very surprising, Chris. Well, the other thing, um, you, you know what else is surprising to me, Kevin? That whoever wins this thing, let's say, okay, so Boston is 48 and 26, so that's 74. They got eight games left, right? Okay, so they got eight games. Let's just say they went six and two, right? What's, what's surprising to me is whoever wins the Eastern Conference is probably going to have 53, 54 wins this year, which that is mm-hmm. not something I would have suspected. I uh, 50, 50, you know, being mid fifties where, because mid fifties, uh, I mean, hell, you're going to have at least three of those teams. Like all it, it we're going to be in a circumstance where at least three of the teams from the Western conference are going to have the best, are going to have the better record than whoever wins the East. This year. Yeah, that is surprising. I, I, I would have thought, you know, we'd have a 60 team winner. Um, but on the, on the other hand, you know, with the Celtics, you look in recent history, the Bulls weren't helped by being the one seed. The the Pacers weren't helped by being the one seed. The Hawks weren't helped by being the one seed. And I don't think the Celtics would be helped either. I mean, they, home court is great, and the Celtics have an incredible home court advantage at home. But I, I still look at recent history, and none of those teams that surpassed the Cavaliers in the standings were, were exactly helped by having home court throughout the playoffs. So I, I do think it's, a, it's a definitely a surprise that we're not going to have a, a 60-win team or even perhaps even a high 50s-win uh, team. But I don't know if it's going to help the Celtics if they maintain the number one seed. Okay, here's what I'll say. It helps against everybody else except LeBron. Yes, that's yep. what I'd say, right? Because that, that son of a bitch goes and wins an Oracle, <laughs> you know, with the whole thing on the line. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. he beat a 70-win team in a Game 7 on the road. Like, if a Game 7 Man. on the road was ever going to be as significant as possible, it was the Warriors having a Game 7 last night in their home <laughs> arena. And the fact that he overcame that. Now, but I will say this. This is where it gets very, very tricky. I think the Wizards could beat them that's a team that could possibly (laughs) no hold on now and i think you want to stay away from three because they wouldn't because if that took place right that's where it becomes very very significant obviously you want to play you you, you know i mean depending on who lands in these spots um you'd love to be the number one seed and be able to have home court throughout if you can but I also think there's a significance there, whereas if Cleveland, I don't think, I think the Wizards could give Cleveland a big, big problem. I don't know if they could, I, I said I think they could beat them. That's what I'll say, could. I don't think that the, I don't think the Cavs should be crazy heavy favorites over them. 
Um, I, I, I wasn't laughing at I, I wasn't laughing at the Cavaliers possibly falling falling to the three. I was laughing just at the mere thought of going into the season. If you said the Cavaliers are going to be oh, the three seed, oh, no, 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 everybody no, 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 would no. laugh at you. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, let me uh, yeah. let me rephrase it. I'm not talking about them falling to three, even though that's in play. I'm talking about in your second round. That's who you'd play. Okay. Okay. See I, I see. All right. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. All right. And so if you're having to play Washington in the next round, I think that's a I think that's a series that they could get beat in. The Wizards are good. They're good, man. I mean, we uh, talked about how the Cavaliers trimming rotation trimming the rotation down to eight guys. The Wizards top eight is really good. Oh, yeah. They they have some good talent. Oh, and by the way, this past weekend they just beat the shit out of them. They dropped seventy one on them in the first <laughs> half. I mean, they beat the series seventy one, yeah. seventy one points. Yeah, that, that there's been a lot of those bangers happening against the Cleveland Cavaliers the past couple of days. You that was the last that? game the Wizards played. Hmm. What was that? It was one. They they scored seventy one in the first one, half and one hundred and twenty seven in the game. To, yeah, 120, 127 to one fifteen game. I mean, their top seven or eight is really good, man. They and they can beat you in different ways. I think I, I I like their team in the sense that they're one of those playoff teams where they can play. They can take on different personalities. They can play big with Gortat if they want to, or they can shift their guys down a position and play small. So I, I think I think they could force the Cavaliers or the. Uh, to play it the way they want to play, or they can adapt to how the Cavaliers are playing. Well, and, and, that's and that's why I think, as you said, it would be competitive. And yeah, that's all I'm saying. Listen, any team with LeBron, given his track record of being in the finals every damn year, is going to be the favorite. I d- d- don't get me wrong in saying uh, that I think that they're going to lose, but <laughs> I, this is where I think that having a home court for a game seven becomes extremely significant. If you are the Celtics, because you might not play the Cavs. You might not. Mm, that's and true. We that's admit, true. You, and clearly, even if you're going to have to beat LeBron, you'd still rather have a game seven on your home court, right, oh, than, than, yeah. being, than being there. So I'm just saying it doesn't make you I – don't, I don't sit there and go, oh, well, if the game seven's in Boston instead of Cleveland, then they'll beat Cleveland. Like, I don't think that. But <laughs> – if you told me that's the case with, say, the Wizards or the Raptors, then maybe I do think the Game 7 could swing it, right? And that that would be, that would be rather significant. He's the only one that I don't think home court becomes significant when you're talking about your chances against. Um, the rest you, you of them, I do think it matters. There's, there's a game next Wednesday night. I realize we'll probably talk about this on next Tuesday's podcast, but next Wednesday, the Celtics and the Cavaliers will play in Boston. Each team will have five games remaining, and this could be the game that determines who gets home court. Depending on what happens the rest of this week, next week's game could be what determines everything. And, well, you and, remember, and I'll be every, fascinated. That, last time they played in Boston, the guys were all out. There was a bunch of guys out for, for Cleveland, yep. and Boston won – and I recall reading the next morning, it, and, and forgive me if, I, if I'm off on this, but I believe this is so, that LeBron, that was LeBron's first loss in Boston since 2011. And I was like, what the hell? Like, how is that even possible? But it was, that, that like, that's how, like, he just never loses there. 
And so then, because people were trying to make a big deal out of it, right? But then they were like, oh, but the Cavs were hurt, whatever. But I remember reading well, the I mean, next I morning. I think it was just love, though. I think I think just love was out for that. Oh, is that it? Is that, is that the only one that yeah, was I out? Think, I, I think it was just Kevin Love. Gotcha. But, I mean, 2011? Shit, man, that's like six years ago. <laughs> it's a long time to not lose a game there. You know, that, anyway. that, that game was interesting, too, because, you know, to, going back to that game with the Celtics, that, that was one of those games where they showed their ability to play so many different styles as well. I know Jonas Jarepko had a really good night um, uh, that game, played about 20 minutes or 25 minutes or something like that. And Amir Johnson, the guy who started the game, barely played at all. So I, I think with the Cavaliers against the Celtics or the Wizards, both those teams are built to play different styles, and that's huge in the playoffs, man, that having that ability to, to play different styles and the Raptors added that by adding Sergi Baca and PJ Tucker those teams really loaded up four potential series either against each other or against the Cavaliers so it'll it'll be super fun to watch come April May and June all right well let me see we talked about the Cavs we talked about their possible matchups but put your Celtics hat on for a minute which shouldn't be hard just go to your bedroom and get it um <laughs> oh come on <laughs> you... hey i'll tell you what hey you'll make fun of me for this i don't think i own any hats <laughs> what i really don't think i do i don't i don't wear hats i've never been a hat guy why do you think they it's look true. funny on you no i just i've just never been a hat guy like when i was a kid i didn't wear hats unless i was like playing baseball <laughs> what, is what, what, what is a hat guy like i don't even i don't even know I, what I don't you're know. talking about so I don't know. Like some some people, some people don't like wearing hats. Some people do like wearing hats. I was I've never been a hat person, so I, never, I, don't, I don't I don't I don't own any NBA hats. I'm gonna get you I'm <laughs> or any buy, other hats for that matter. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna buy you a hat. So That's you're gonna buy gonna me a hat and a Rashawn Holmes jersey. Those would you are the two wear things. A, Would you wear a hat if I bought you a hat? Yeah, I, I, I'd wear a Rashawn Holmes jersey with a hat that you buy me. Like it would be the <laughs> outfit together. Oh, I'm so happy that these Philly fans are having something to root on and care about for the rest of the season because they've they've been a must watch. Um, all right. So if you are the Celtics, would you rather play the Wizards or the Raptors? Um, second second I'd round. rather play. If I want drama, I, I want to face the Wizards just because of the bad blood those two teams have. But if I want to win the series and have a better chance at winning the series, I'd, I'd prefer to face the Raptors. But both of those are tough matchups, to be fair. But I'd rather face the Raptors. All right, Kevin, I'm going to ask you about your Raptors article. But first, these words. The NBA playoff chase is heating up, and SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to your favorite team's games. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets with just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed, and there's nothing like being in a stadium for the biggest plays of the year. SeatGeek will get you closer to the action at a great value. I've got SeatGeek on my phone. It's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. You can be anywhere in just a few taps, and you can find seats instantly. I actually just used SeatGeek to buy some tickets to a concert. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket-buying experience easier than ever. They save you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed. So you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Best of all, the listeners of the NBA show get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate, download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add promo code. 
Enter the promo code RINGERNBA. SeatGeek's going to send you 20 bucks once you've made your first purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code RINGERNBA today. We're also brought to you by Uber. We've all taken jobs to earn extra cash. Back in the day, I worked at a car wash. Well, now you've got a better way to earn some extra money on the side. It's much easier, too, thanks to Uber. Uber is the ultimate side hustle. Driving with Uber is a new way you can earn extra cash whenever you want. It's not just another J-O-B. It's a totally flexible way to earn. You can turn on and off just like your car. And if you've got a few spare hours here and there, drive with Uber. If you ever wanted to be your own boss, I'd bet you'd make a great boss. Drive with Uber and be your own boss. If you're driving right now, you should be earning right now. Every day is a payday when you drive with Uber. Listen, if you enjoy earning extra cash, if there's something special you'd like to buy, your car can start making you money. So go ahead and get your side hustle on. Sign up to drive with Uber today. Go to uber.com slash drive now. That's uber.com slash drive now. U-B-E-R dot com slash drive now. All right, let's move into the Raptors. Because your infatuation with blowing up teams drives me insane. (laughs) You know this drives me insane. And here we go with another Kevin (laughs) O'Connor at the ringer. Oh, here's another good team we can blow up. Let me write this article about how Masai Yuri should blow up uh, (laughs) the number four seed in the Eastern Conference that's actually having a really good season and has a a chance to make a, a playoff run possibly if they get Lowry back totally healthy. Um, and here you go. You wrote the article about the Raptors, and then instead of allowing Raptors fans to just kick back and enjoy this season, you want to talk about an eye for the future, and uh, and then and then implore that hey, maybe it's best for your team to go ahead and suck for the next five years. I'm sure that that's being well no, received. That's no, that's not what I'm saying though. I'm not. <laughs> that's that's exactly. I mean, people might read it that way, but that's that's not what I'm saying. Is like I'm not saying take a Sam Hinky approach and tank for four or five years i don't think the team would be built for that anyway like all, all you know i think not to like defend myself you know with my idea here it's like i just think <laughs> you look at their team and they can compete and th- there there's a window this year possibly to knock off the cavaliers as we just talked about but my thing is sustainability and the way Masai builds his teams is the back end of that roster is all young and the top end of the roster, Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan and Sergi Baca and PJ Tucker, those guys are all going to be so expensive this summer. And if they, if they sign on those guys, they lock themselves into that team the same exact way the Cavaliers lock themselves in and they have to get guys like Darren Williams and Andrew Bogut and, or, spend a first round draft pick on a 35 year old guy in Kyle Corver in order to add to their roster. That's what they're forced to do. That's what the Clippers are forced to do because they're the luxury tax and they're forced to add those fringe players. The Raptors would have to do the same damn thing if they sign all those guys this summer. And I don't think their core is even on the Clippers or Cavaliers level. So uh, the point is, is that they might need to make tweaks I don't think it's as simple as bringing the band back. You can be a competitive team and you can hang more division banners, but, and that's fun. This team, this core is incredibly fun, but I think if your, your aim is really for a championship, it might come after this DeRozan and Lowry era, as sad as that is to say. And it's just okay, a so- forward thinking for future, future focused look at the team. That's fine. But all right. So let's say you have to make a choice. I mean, all right. So here, let me just go one by one. First question. 
would you give Lowry the contract that he is going to be able to command this offseason? Absolutely, 100%. And, and the reason why is because, A, I think you should get. I think you should go into this summer with the intentions of trying to improve your team to make a run next season. I think that's what you should do, and I think you should take that team into the season as well. But there's a high probability that you don't because of the because of the lack of flexibility your team's going to have. Maybe maybe a young player makes a surprise development, but if it's really the same old same old, I think you have to look at that team for the reasons I just stated and say, well, maybe we'd be better off trading Kyle Lowry to. To team X for a first round pick. Maybe we'd be better off flipping DeRozan to the Lakers and, and ripping off Magic Johnson. Maybe we'd be better off taking advantage of this loaded 2017 draft class and the loaded 20, uh, the top of the 2018 draft class. Maybe you'd be better off taking, taking advantage of these draft classes that I think might define the next decade of basketball with the prospects that are coming out. And that's really my perspective here is that these guys are so good. Kyle Lowry is a superstar, one of the best point guards in the basketball earlier this season, but he's 31 years old, plays an incredibly hard style, and he's only he's small, and he's had lingering injury issues over the past couple of years, and you'd be signing him to a five-year contract. DeMar DeRozan, great player, incredibly fun scorer, but still... He plays a classic style of play with the mid-range game. Maybe he adds a three, but maybe he doesn't. I just, I just question, I just question their core making sustained playoff runs based on history and based on the fact that they can't add to it. So I do think they should keep him, though, Chris. To to answer your question simply, they should keep him. The big whiff is Carroll. That's the big whiff. Mm. It is. That, that's that, the that's one no, of the size whiffs in Denver too. They brought they had they had Carroll in Denver and then they they waved him. <laughs> No but, no, but I mean, he blew it by signing him. He did. Like, that has just not panned out. It just hasn't. He got that huge deal after he left Atlanta. He had the awesome season in Atlanta. And it's just not the best fit next to Car- or next to DeRozan and Lowry. And it's... I, I, I don't will, know. Is, I'm is it, give, is it I'll fit give as much a, as its injuries, though? Huh? Is it fit as much as its injuries, though? I mean, that knee injury has really limited him. I, I don't know if it's fit as much as, as the oh, guys there's just no, there's no unfo- question, but unfortunate there, injuries. But if you watch them, there is a lot of standing around for Damare Carroll. That is a perimeter-based team. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm just saying you don't have to I, – I think I think twofold. All right, I do, you do need to give him a little bit of leeway because of the injuries, okay? But – I also think that even without the injuries, that maybe that he's not the best type of fit next to those two guys. And and certainly, I don't think that you need to spend the money on that position when you've got those two guys. That's what I'd say, right? Because they're going to just a. They're carrying on the Carol. If I told you two years ago, which I wouldn't have said this, but if I had told you two years ago, the Hawks should blow it up when they have a 60-win team and they're the one seed in the East. If I said they should blow it up before Horford hits free agency, before Carroll hits free agency, before Corver's 35 years old, before Jeff Teague hits free agency, and before Paul Millsap hits free agency this summer. If I told you that two years ago, I think the reaction would have been exactly the same as it, as it would be today with the Raptors of the team they're having. And that Hawks team was better than this Raptors team. I think they were different styles of play, but I think they had... I think they were a better team within their season. I think I think maybe um, me and you are getting a little bit uh, sidetracked on the whole what is blowing up because you could say like okay they should have blown it up if you're the Hawks. The Hawks are the 5 seed right now. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, what if the, what if that's what the Raptors are, and t- what if that's what the Raptors are for the next two, three years? Just four, five seed, never, never really a true contender. Just, I mean, it's fun and it is exciting, but don't you want don't you want your team to be that team that everybody is really aiming to be to be the team that is at the top of the conference? Because you know, with the Raptors and the Celtics and the Wizards, where you're mostly ways, there's different ways to go about that. There's just different ways to go about it. And obviously, you look at the way teams are built because, you know, you can't. Like the best case scenario is that you get the number one pick, and the number one pick available is Anthony Davis, right? And look, they haven't done squat with him in his first five, six years in the league. Um, and all, all I'm saying is there's different ways to go about it. I, I, I sat in an arena one night and watched Zach Randolph drop 17 points in a fourth quarter against the Spurs team that had won 60 games and they just and 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 as an 8 seed knocked off a 1 seed. That was in 2011, right? The next day, everybody in the free world wrote the death certificate for the Spurs. Everybody. It's over. The time has passed. The Duncan Ginobili uh, Parker thing, it's over now. Like that was it. All right? It was cool. Regular season was great. Won 60 games. But it's over. They got to break it up. They got to bust it up. It's what everybody wrote. Everybody said that. <laughs> People they, live in the moment way too much sometimes. I'm just That's saying. Why. But then they made the one amazing trade and they nailed a superstar. Right? They nailed it. And I know mm-hmm. that it is as rare as rare can be to be able to trade George Hill to get a draft pick and him turn out to be one of the best five players in the world. But they did. And that's how they were able to reinvent themselves, right, on the fly without turning crappy. You also saw it with Houston. They had those teams that kind of battled along with Lowry and Artest and those teams. They never bottomed out. They never got terrible. And then they were able to mix and match until they were able to, right, because the the whole McGrady-Yao Ming thing got totally derailed by injury. And then they tried to reinvent it with Harden and Howard, and now they've reinvented it again on the fly all the while never being a horrible team so when you say to me when you talk about blowing it up the first thing that runs through my head is being horrible that you are blowing it up with the inference that because you need to be able to get a super high draft pick and I think the risk is so great in that because then you really have to nail it and I'll just say there are different ways to go about it without Totally, totally turning your uh, your franchise into one where forty one nights a year your stadium becomes a morgue, and <laughs> that you're just, and, and and then you just got to nail it. I mean, again, and it's partly because I sat through it, Kevin. It's awful. I went to a draft party when I threw a draft party. ESPN was there. There's thousands of people, right? It's the Odin and uh, it's the Odin Durant draft. Okay, team had won twenty something games. Um, there's thousands of people there and the lottery starts to come that lottery night. Right. And then it pops up and it's the Grizzlies get the fourth pick overall. Now that pick in retrospect turned out to be Mike Conley. Right. But you didn't get Odin and you didn't get Durant. You didn't get the thing that was going to change your franchise. And then another year I threw another draft party and it came up the number two pick in the draft. And obviously they blew it by taking Hashim to beat, right? Maybe that's why I'm gun shy because the franchise yeah, in yeah. which I have been around 
they they did suck and then they blew it over and over again because they just didn't they either didn't get the right pick or they didn't get the right guy and so i am i'm very very timid about encouraging people to blow it up because that's the other side of it and it's awful Okay, so you said a lot of interesting things there, Chris, that I, I want to respond to. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of like work backwards. So I think, uh, you know, that's one of the, been the main things that I've read from Raptors, Raptors fans on Reddit and Real GM is like, the response is, you don't get it. This franchise has been horrific for 20 years, and we are in the best era of Raptors basketball right now. And that's 100% true. This team is incredibly fun. The past three years have been exhilarating. I, I've, I've really loved watching the Raptors, and they're, I bet their arena being in that building is really special. But my thing is, is again, it's about sustainability and how can you build this team that can make that extra leap to the next level and sustain it for an extended period of time. So to relate it to the draft classes, you're right. Blowing it up absolutely have, has its risks. It definitely does because of the fact that there's no guarantees with the draft. My thing is this, though, is I think the top of these drafts are going to be potentially very special. And with the right trade, I don't think it's I, – I think blowing it up might might be a little bit extreme in the sense that it's more of a tweak because you mentioned that, that New Orleans roster. They got Anthony Davis and they were terrible. But the, what, did, what else do they have on the back end of their roster? I think this Raptors team, because of the way Masai has built it and structured it, they have young talent that could be ready to elevate into a role. I don't think they have superstars waiting on their bench, and that's what they need, and that's the other thing we need to touch on with the Kawhi Leonard thing you mentioned. I don't think any of them have superstar potential, but a lot of them have potential to be good players, to be contributors some of those guys are going to become expensive soon. Baby is going to become a free agent. Norman Powell is going to become a free agent next summer. Those guys are going to cost money soon. But I think they have talent that can rise up and allow the team to be still be competitive, maybe be an eight-seed type of team, not the four or five, not the three, four, but I still think they have the ability to be competitive. And that's the other part here. With Kawhi Leonard, the way the Spurs tweaked, they traded the guy who was supposed to be maybe the successor to Tony Parker. They traded George Hill and I think another draft pick for Kawhi Leonard. And that worked out for them, obviously. <laughs> and there's a chance. This is this is where, like I said, I think the Raptors should go into the summer with the full intentions of looking to improve their team. And the main way to do that when you're strapped for salary cap space is through the draft because prospects are cheap and they can be in their they're good investments. That's the flaw with what the Cavaliers have done. The back end of their roster is all old geezers. The back end of the Raptors roster is all young guys that have upside. So the Raptors, if I'm them, I'm going into this draft targeting guys in that 10 to 15 range who I think have the chance to become the best player in the draft because there's going to be somebody who falls this year who other teams evaluate as more highly than other teams maybe you miss and maybe that player doesn't turn into much maybe you get him get him into camp and you're, you realize on day one shit we took a dud we shouldn't have traded Norman Powell in the 24th pick for this guy right maybe that's what you end up saying but I, I think that's the perspective they need to go in because they need that other guy. And there's really not a road for them to get, th get that player unless it's through the draft. So, look, I think this team could, should continue building through the summer, but they need to have in the back of their minds 
going into the 2017-18 season, then going into the 2018 summer, they need to have in the back of their minds that maybe we need to make bigger tweaks to this team, to this roster, in order to not only have success in the short term, but sustain success in the long term. And that's what the Spurs have done more than any any other team in basketball, is find a way to sustain success through development on the back end of their roster and the correct tweaks. Uh, tweaks at the top of the roster all right kevin you just keep on blowing up teams you just go around the nba <laughs> with your tnt all right we gotta get we gotta get to what's happened in the ncaa tournament uh, i got to witness the ncaa regional uh this past weekend that included kentucky and north carolina and others um that were here and obviously the end of that carolina kentucky game is one that uh we'll never forget um whew, but i did see lonzo and fox in person alongside uh, Magic Johnson, who, by the way, was in the front row. I saw him at the game. Um, Fox's Friday night performance was just otherworldly. 39 is a hard number to get to when you're not a three-point shooter and you only play two 20-minute halves. That that one was incredible. Um, Lonzo didn't have that great of a game. Do you think that the Fox-Lonzo game and that particular matchup affects anything draft-wise? So I realize this won't come off as a take that a lot of people will expect after that game. I don't think it changes a lot for people who already have decided how they feel about some of these guys. So I think there's some guys you'll find in the NBA who don't love Lonzo Ball. I think everybody would agree for the most part that he has a lot of talent and that he has the potential to be a really good player. But I don't think that a, I don't think everybody is totally head over heels in love with him like his dad is. I don't think everybody sees that potential in him. Or if they do see that potential in him, they they think there's a low probability that he reaches it. Whereas with De'Aaron Fox, seeing those guys side by side, and this was the fascinating part for me, Fox just looked like the far more dynamic player. So much faster on the offensive end, so much quicker laterally on the defensive end. His ability to really, I think, change pace is there, and he has the top gear to get to if he, if he needs to get there. His ability to get to the rim and finish with both hands. His ability to, to create space off the dribble. The only flaw with him is really his shot, and he has a little bit of a thin frame, so he might have issues against larger point guards, but he has Almost everything you look for in a point guard in today's NBA, he makes those wow plays, and he had a hell of a lot of them over the weekend. And that was really the, the disparity between Ball and Fox for me. Ball just seemed really bland, didn't he? I mean, he just seemed like a, more of a bland player in that matchup, especially juxtaposed against De'Aaron Fox. Did you feel I the same, Chris? I came out of the weekend. After, after coming out of the weekend, I will say, after, after when I left that arena Friday night, and, and it still has, has, not, uh, has not left me, I think that if before the weekend, if somebody would have taken De'Aaron Fox before Lonzo Ball, I would have thought that was insane. And now I would not think I would not think that's insane at all. That's as simply as I can put it. I'm with you in the sense that I think I think that's what that game did. I think it made people realize more than anything else, this year's draft up top, in my opinion, after Markel Fultz. You can order these guys in so many different ways, and you can debate. You can debate all you want with some of them, like who should be ahead of others. But ultimately, every team's evaluation of these guys will depend so much on system, 
how they want to integrate their players, the traits they care about with point guards. It's going to depend on their independent evaluations of these guys and their upside and their personalities and how they'll fit into the locker room, how the coaches like them. It'll depend so much on independent evaluation because these players are so closely together in terms of talent level. I mean, you could even make the case for Dennis Smith, who wasn't in the tournament, as a guy who deserves to be in that same conversation. I don't love him, but other people do. Right, well, and so everybody feels differently you, about these dudes. One of the things you said that I think is significant is that the, the whole seeing them side by side, because that does matter. Mm-hmm. I recall mm-hmm. years ago during the Derrick Rose draft, I remember uh, some NBA scouts telling me there was one of these pre-draft deals that uh, that all the players were at, right? And it just so happened that Rose and Westbrook were next to each other in the line, and so obviously they were going and they were doing the drills. And everybody sitting there was like, holy crap, Westbrook's like right there athletically with this kid. Because people forget now, right? You see, Rose is a shell of himself athletically. But coming out, there were Rose was a top 0.1% athlete in the world. Like he was explode everything. It was just 100% fast twitch. Westbrook's obviously still been able to keep that to this day. But the whole idea was... You know, because Westbrook, it was a little bit of a surprise that he went fourth in that draft, if you go back in time. Um, His team got slaughtered by the Memphis team, no less, um, in the NCAA tournament in the Final Four. And that, uh, but but that moment where they're both at the camp and they're side by side and it's like looking at them and it was almost as if you get this sense that they were almost mirror images of each other athletically (laughs) and it just... I mean, of course, everybody was just like, this is this is insane. You know what I mean? Like Rose was supposed to be by far and away the the best athlete available. And look at this kid from UCLA who's got, you know, he he's jumping jump for jump with this kid. So I do think that matters, you, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially especially at the most athletic position in basketball. Right. Right. I think yes. you look at most of the top point guards in the league. Almost all of them are great athletes or, or at least uh, I think high level in the sense that they, they have a top end speed or they have the ability to be a leaper. Lonzo Ball has leaping ability, but it's more in open space, more so than in traffic. And I think a lot of the best point guards in, in recent years have that ability to really explode in traffic. I, t- I talked to some of the guys from Kentucky, um, and one of them said they had interviewed John Wall earlier this year about Fox, and Wall was quoted as saying that Fox, when he gets to the NBA, will be in that class of he and Westbrook and those guys they talk about being the fastest players in the NBA, that that's how fast that kid is. Which He's got the right last name. <laughs> oh, He's got the right last name. Fox is great for him. You know what, man? And I I like the locker room crying video. I like that. It's it's great. You know what I mean? Like, give me that guy. I'd I'd want that guy. Yeah. He cares. You know what I'm saying? Like, what the the fuck is Lonzo doing talking about? Lonzo was like, I I felt like his bags were packed in Memphis. You know what I mean? Like, like, literally, like, the first thing he said was like, hey, it's been fun. I'm done. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like. Uh, uh, right, another guys. thing Fox did, 
another thing Fox did after Friday's game when I forget the question he was asked, but it was about him. It was about his game. The first thing he did was thank his teammates. And that's a little thing. It's just a small little gesture, but it says a lot about his character that the first thing he does after scoring 39 damn points is thank his teammates for putting him in a position to succeed. And, and that that's little, but it's big, man. That says a lot about him. Okay. A couple, a couple other things really quickly. uh, NCAA tournament's been going on. Um, it feels like the kid from Oregon, Jordan Bell, is. If I had, to, let's just pick one because I know we're running short on time. I think Jordan Bell has helped his stock the most of any player in uh, this NCAA tournament. I thought his performance against Kansas was insanely memorable. Those kids didn't even want to drive the ball anymore because he was just havoc. Um, and he grabs rebounds, and he's tough, and he blocks shots. And I think uh, he was certainly not on the tip of everybody's tongue going in. He kind of reminds me of a guy that if he would have gotten bounced in the first round or maybe even that Rhode Island game, you know, if he's still not playing, then we're not really – you know, he's certainly not being talked about all the time. We don't get that opportunity to see that monster performance in a huge spot. Um so I kind of I kind of walked away from the weekend thinking that the kid from Oregon, Jordan Bell, has helped his case, uh, helped his stock the most when it comes to the draft. What about you? Sindarius Thornwell. Not only does he have the best name, perhaps in the entire draft, but his game looks pretty damn good, man. Sindarius Thornwell, a, a guard slash wing from South Carolina. His ability to score from different levels, ability to grind in the defensive end of the floor. I think I tweeted the other day that. Josh Hart from Villanova is ranked like 25 to 40 everywhere. Thornwell's ranked like 60th to 70th, 70th. I don't think the difference is that great. I think those guys are pretty close to equal players. And Thornwell has definitely done quite a lot for his stock, especially moving up into the high second round. That's a great one because he uh, he's probably a second round pick. Right. And he's one of those guys. I, w- I would think so. Yeah. If he would have gotten knocked out, if he would have gotten bounced in round one, which a lot of people you know, had them getting bounced in the in the first round of the tournament. If he gets bounced in that first round, uh, who knows? But he's probably he's probably locked himself into a, being a first round pick now. I'd say, right? And hell, th- you know, don't never bank against a team that defends like they do. I could, I I, I really don't know what's going to happen in these tournament games. But that South Carolina team has been super fun. They got the one real star, and then they just Frank Martin ain't nothing to mess with, Kevin. Hey man, he he's a, he seems like a really good guy guy you can rally behind, Frank Martin. That's for sure. It's gonna do it for another Ringer NBA show. Thanks to Kevin O'Connor. Uh, if you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review on iTunes, and we will talk to you on Thursday. Get your side hustle on. Sign up to drive for Uber and earn extra cash whenever you want. It's totally flexible. Be your own boss and you can cash out up to five times a week. No minimum amount required. Sign up today at uber.com slash drive now. That's U-B-E-R dot com slash drive now.